In the 1990s, Nortel was a darling of the Canadian tech sector, but in the 2000s, it came crashing down in spectacular fashion. Was it merely a case of a failing business in the wake of the dot-com bubble bursting, or were there more sinister factors at play? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10.3. I talk with the National Post's Tom Blackwell about Nortel's demise and whether Chinese corporate espionage played a role. Don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. Make sure you take a moment to hit that subscribe icon. We'd love it if you'd also leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Tom, the word Nortel is is one of those company names that's kind of branded in the psyche of many Canadians, but they may not remember some of the specifics of what happened to the company. So just before we get into some of the details about Nortel and Huawei and what could potentially have transpired there, how did Nortel fall apart? Yeah, well, it, I mean, Nortel was, was, was sort of maybe the original kind of Canadian tech darling um, before uh, BlackBerry <laughs> captured everyone's imaginations. Uh, it was a huge company. It, was, it, it um, accounted for something like a third of the worth of companies on the Toronto Stock Exchange, you know, employed 90,000 people uh, around the world. Um, and its valuation went way up in, in the uh, late 90s as a result of uh, – Speculation during the the tech boom, when this the, the potential of uh, of these kind of companies was seemed to be kind of limitless, uh, and then uh, the the uh, tech bubble burst, uh, you know, around uh, year two thousand, and uh, Nortel just lost a, a huge amount of value. It had, I think, one year it had losses in in the realm of like fifteen billion billion with the B dollars, mm-hmm. and then it tried to recover uh, through the the two thousands. And uh, n- never, never quite made it. And uh, in 2001, uh, went into bankruptcy protection, and, and later basically just sold itself off in in parts to uh, to different buyers. So it was, yeah, it was quite quite a, a spectacular collapse, and and kind of kind of tragic for for the Canadian uh, technology sector. And you know, cost a, a many many people their jobs as as the company fell apart. Now, as it was slowly crumbling. A Chinese upstart company was growing rather quickly. Uh, It's a name people may be familiar with, uh, considering that we have one of its uh, executives essentially under house arrest in Vancouver. How does the Huawei story start out? Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's an interesting story because I mean, I think for most of us in Canada, we were really barely aware of this company until <laughs> until a couple of years ago. And in fact, it, it doesn't have a long history. It started in the, the late uh, 1980s, uh, founded by a guy named Ren Zhengfei, who uh, was a uh, an engineer in the Chinese military, the the People's Liberation Army, uh, and then started this uh, this company when when things started opening up to to private business in, in China. And through the 90s it and, and 2000s, it just grew really rapidly. And by 2012, it actually was the largest uh, maker of telecommunications and data communications equipment in the world. It surpassed Ericsson. And, and that, that's, the, that's the very field that, that Nortel uh, was competing in. Uh, so as Nortel died, Huawei grew, up, grew into the, the biggest uh, competitor in that industry. It's quite an amazing story. And obviously, the 
Huawei is in the news in Canada, uh, I mean, other than the, the fact that we detained Meng Wanzhou uh, at the behest of the United States on an extradition warrant, Huawei is vying to be the company to help develop Canada's 5G wireless network, and there's lots of concerns about security. And those concerns about security... They date back to during the time when Nortel was, you know, a worldwide competitor in the tech world and as it started to fall apart. And your feature touches on some concerns that were raised about Huawei and, and what it is alleged to have done to Nortel and other competitors. How do we come across some of this information? And when did some of these concerns start? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, stuff was happening in, in the final years of, of Nortel's life, as it were, but didn't really become public until uh, sort of after it died, essentially. And, and it was sort of part of uh, also kind of the the parallel uh, trajectories of, of the two companies, Huawei and, and Nortel, you know, one of them on the rise, one of them on the fall, but they were competing in the same business. You know, they tried to set up a joint venture in 2006. Uh, there was some talk of Huawei backing a buyout out of Nortel right at the end, or, or perhaps even wanting to buy it. So the two companies, they just they continually sort of overlapped. Then there was concerns about really corporate espionage that was going on. A lot of it cannot be directly uh, tied to Huawei, but sort of the most dramatic sort of episode was a discovery by Nortel uh, security people in, in uh, 2004 that the company had been hacked in a, in a sort of big way. Uh, seven of their top executives, including the T CEO, had their accounts hacked. And this was done by, by uh, actors in China, and it seemed to be a very organized uh, sort of hacking operation that pointed to, you know, possible sort of government involvement. And, uh, you know, I talked to security, uh, ex-security people from Nortel who investigated this, and, and they say, you know, there were hundreds and hundreds of documents uh, stolen from the Nortel system. And they say th those that was material that would really only benefit another uh, competitor in the same field, you know, that had information about, you know, uh, sales strategy and, and products that Nortel was making and selling and, and that kind of thing. So we, we don't know. And, and Huawei denies that they had ever were, had any part in this hacking um, or, or benefited from it. But certainly it, it would it would theoretically be a company that would uh, a Chinese company that would that could potentially have benefited from this hacking by by Chinese actors, uh, and then there were other things too. It, again, it came out uh, you know after the fact, uh, uh, and I, I spoke to a former CISA's officer who says that you know in the late nineties they were warning Nortel that, that there were human spies, uh, you know, uh, tied to China that were uh, that were spying on them, and and then of course we heard. You know, after that, that they're one of the Nortel facilities in uh, in Ottawa actually had, you know, listening devices, bugs <laughs> implanted in in the building. Wow. Um, we don't know who uh, at this point. We don't know who who did that. But uh, yeah. Other than competitors, is you know, could governments benefit from this kind of hacking? Is it really only seen as the potentially some other competitor who for whom it would be worth? hacking into executives' accounts and stealing documents? Well, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like there's any kind of sort of national security kind of uh, 
advantage to hacking into a company like Nortel. Um, at least, you know, if, if there was, uh, that, that hasn't come out. Um, it, it does seem to be really in, in the realm of, a sort of corporate espionage. Now, I mean, the the goal might have been to undermine a company in in a, a a Western country, but I mean, how would you have undermined that company unless you gave that that information those those secrets to another to another competitor? And there is other evidence. Uh, again, I should I should really emphasize that that Huawei says they had absolutely nothing to do with any kind of corporate espionage, hacking, or, or, or theft, or anything like that. But there is some evidence, uh, or at least allegations, that does uh, tie Huawei to this kind of activity. Um, I, I spoke to some security people uh, who, who work for Nortel, uh, who told a story that hasn't come out before <laughs> about how they uh, uh, Huawei or a company representing them had, had bought a computer product from Nortel and then then returned it, even though they bought it on credit and asked for a refund. And the Nortel people started looking at this thing and they realized that it had been sort of completely taken apart and kind of reverse engineered, you know, as if as if to sort of figure out its secrets and uh, and potentially copy them. And then the uh, the US government has has uh, very recently leveled uh, a number of criminal charges against Huawei uh, of intellectual uh, property theft from from companies in the States. So certainly the suspicions and allegations are, are out there of, of Huawei being involved in this kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, at the time when we're talking about when Nortel was still a company, Huawei and Nortel were in direct competition for certain contracts with governments, uh, not just in Canada and, and the United States, but in Britain as well, correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and certainly one of the kind of watershed moments that uh, people cite is is a big contract that British Telecom put out in, uh, I think it was 2005. And this was, you know, totally uh, within the lane of, of Nortel. And, and I think it was expected that it would be a front runner and, and would get a big piece of this contract. As it turned out, the Nortel was completely frozen out. Huawei, though, did manage to get a, a small part of that British Telecom contract. It wasn't, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but uh, it was seen as sort of their entree into the, the Western telecommunications world and, and sort of evidence that they could be trusted and 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 that this sort of uh, opened the door to to them being, uh, you know, expanding in, in, into the West. Um, and then a couple of years after that, there was a big contract in, in Canada, which uh, Huawei won and which Nortel uh, uh, lost. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, they, they were very close uh, competitors. Nortel obviously filed for bankruptcy in 2009. It's, you know, we're talking about more than a decade later. What is the importance of some of this history now? I guess that that's sort of a matter of opinion. I mean, you know, for people who worked for Nortel or who sort of took a particular pride in this company that was kind of a, you know, a world leader in in, in its uh, field and was known for developing really good technology. For for those people, it's it's you know it, it, it's sort of a tragedy and and the fact that it might have been a result partly of sort of espionage or or, or you know nefarious practices that that's important. But I mean, I, I would maybe argue that, you know, as we sort of assess what role Huawei should play in, in the, our future next generation wireless networks, you know, perhaps we should look at, at an episode like this and the role that, that at least uh, actors in, in China did, did, did play, um, you know, in, in some fairly inappropriate uh, activity, I guess one could say. Looking at the demise of Nortel, is it a case that there are people who directly tie some of these allegations of corporate espionage 
to Nortel collapsing or is it the dot-com bubble? Is it just the fact that it was unable to secure contracts or changes within the corporate structure of the company? What are people kind of pinning as the main reason that Nortel just collapsed? Yeah, I mean, no, that's a very good question. And and I mean, you know, as, as much as they, they, it would seem they were very much uh, the victims of of some nasty stuff, you know, hacking and and uh, trade secret theft. I mean, it, it's a it's another question whether that, you know, was the cause of their demise. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, the University of Ottawa did a big study a few years ago on, on the the fall of Nortel and why it happened. And you know, they talked to dozens of uh, people, you know, comp- competitors, uh, customers, former executives of the company. And their conclusion was that, in fact, the the espionage, the hacking, had really had virtually nothing to do with with, with what happened. That it was all about, you know, poor management decisions, uh, you, you know, not not listening to the customers, not providing what the customers wanted, what they specified they wanted in in, in sort of tenders, you know, like that British Telecom contract. Apparently, Nortel was uh, was rejected because it simply didn't provide the the specific products that that British Telecom wanted. So it just didn't, it it was ruled as sort of ineligible. Um, So yeah, there is certainly, you know, people who will will argue that, 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 that it was sort of traditional business problems that that brought it down. Uh, But certainly, you know, uh, people who are again, sort of fans of Nortel and its technology, the, the, you know, for some a lot of the former employees, the former security employees, especially, they, they are convinced that directly or indirectly, the fact that its its intellectual property was was plundered for a number of years, you know, had to have something to do with the, with, with its eventual fall. Do you get the sense that security officials in Canada, like you you said, you spoke with one current or former CSIS agent, that there's frustration about how serious companies take concerns about espionage? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that was certainly this particular individual who was the uh, head of the of the CSIS Asia Pacific desk at the time. Certainly he felt like, you know, they just didn't want to hear about this. And and interestingly, I, I heard from another former uh, CSIS officer who's now in sort of a private security consultancy. And, and he sort of told a similar story about, you know, all kinds of cases where, where they caught the Chinese sort of red-handed and they would contact companies that were targeted, and again, they just didn't sort of want to hear about it. But I, I think also there's concern about, even though CSIS did try to warn companies in, in the past that, that that there's not sort of a close collaboration between intelligence agencies and the corporate world, that you know intelligence agencies maybe see their role more as to protect sort of national security and military secrets, that kind of thing, as opposed to sort of the economic uh, engine of, of Canada and that maybe maybe there should be more of a of a, a collaboration between the two and and that's uh, what seems to be happening uh, in in the states where you know FBI and, and CIA are, are are seem to be very much involved in trying to protect uh, companies from from this kind of activity and and you know that that recent indictment that uh, I referred to uh, accusing Huawei uh, that that dealt with um, really sort of corporate espionage uh, you, you know or alleged corporate espionage, not sort of national security stuff. So, so there is that model in, in the States that, uh, you know, perhaps could be copied up here. Well, it's definitely a, a fascinating story and a reminder of the threats that are potentially out there. Tom, thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall. 
Thanks to my guest, Tom Blackwell. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.